ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the 24th episode of your new favorite internet show, VisionCon Live. I'm your host, Zach Wilson, but you didn't come here to see me today. You came to see the man of the hour. He's Android 17 from Dragon Ball Z, EA from Yu Yu Hakusho, Shao Tucker from Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood, just to name a few. He's the legendary icon that can voice anything and anyone. Ladies and gentlemen, please help me welcome the one, the only, Mr. Chuck Huber. Chuck, how you doing today? Chuck? I'm sorry, I was making the crowd noise there. Oh, okay, that's what that was. What's going on, Chuck? What's going on? No, I'm, uh, I'm doing good. How are you doing? I'm doing uh, Dandy's Candy. I will say, and for those of you who missed uh, the VisionCon live pre-show, we talked a lot about surviving in the wilderness. And I will say, I want to make something entirely clear, Chuck. Sure. Uh, if you had told me, if you had just emailed me before I saw you face to face, I would be like, yeah, he's kind of talking out of his you know what. But now seeing you, after only seeing a headshot, which let's remember, ladies and gentlemen, as the name implies, is just your head. Seeing kind of more of your torso, I believe it now. You look like you could uh, definitely wrestle a bear. <laughs> I don't know about that. I would get eaten, but uh, uh, yeah, I try to I try to not. I try to not let myself go. I'm creeping up on fifty. My goal is to be the fittest I have ever been in my life by the time I turn fifty, which is. Uh, it's, it's a pretty steep order. I was pretty pretty fit in college. I worked at a fitness club, but yeah, yeah. My my deal is, uh, I want to be able to. Uh, I want you to be able to throw me in the mountains and and let me go, and I'll be able to survive my way out. Just sure. a just a Bowie knife and the shirt on your back, and you'll make it out no problem. Well, maybe a little Gore-Tex, maybe a shelter if I could have a water filter, and maybe my jet boil. I'd be good. Yeah, sure, yeah. sure. Well, aside from fitness, you're also known for a plethora of other things in your acting career. That's which true. Is where I kind of wanted to start with. Now, huh? you're very successful in your field, but was this always the plan growing up? Did you always know you wanted to be the highly successful actor and teacher that you are today? Or was this just something that kind of led one thing after the another? Well, you know, I'll tell you this. I started thinking about becoming an actor because we we spent a lot of time as kids my family and i we spent a lot of time as kids pretending and playing and and uh, doing charades and making our own films and i, I kind of tell an apocryphal story it's actually a true story but my brother john was filming a an eight millimeter remake of the dagobah scene uh from empire Stri strikes back the summer uh, that empire came out yeah and I was very, very small and I was, I was not good at doing a Yoda voice, but I was small enough to fit into the R2-D2, uh, cardboard R2-D2 that we had made. So I thought I was a shoo-in to play R2-D2. As a matter of fact, he said I was going to play R2-D2. And our, our buddy Webb Tilney across the street, he had a great uh, a rubber Yoda mask and he did a great Yoda voice. And so, of course, he was going to be Yoda, but it came down to the day of filming and John and Webb took off without me. And what? I was left at home and uh, I was very mad. I was very, very mad. I had a little, little one of those little cameras. If you can imagine what this was like, it had a little, little canister you put in it. You had, to, you had to sort of connect it to the thing and it had the little cube that had four flashes and then you had disposable flash, if you can imagine that. So it's a disposable flash. And I took a picture of the front door with sort of the sun coming through it. And I still have the picture to this day. And that was me like, I didn't, I couldn't, he had the, the little eight millimeter, but I was like, I'm going to be a, I'm 
gonna be an actor, I'm gonna be a filmmaker, I'm gonna do this. And so I took this one uh, silly picture and I still have it. And that was kind of the moment that I was like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be an actor for the rest of my life. Um, that turned into like, you know, fast forward to seventh grade and I was being goofy in the hallway and some English teacher was like, come here. And was like, you need to do this, this, uh, they had a little forensic competition uh, back in junior high where you do like poetry and prose and dramatic and terp and little duet scenes and stuff. And she said, you should do this acting thing. And I was like, yes, I should. So I started in seventh grade and I went all the way through high school, did, um, you know, one act competition, did all the plays in high school. I was ended up third in the nation for dramatic interpret my junior year performed in front of 4000 people by myself oh, as a as a junior as a 16 year old 17 year old and in in uh, there was in Nashville Tennessee and uh, after that I went to DePaul University in Chicago their Goodman School of Drama and studied at their conservatory acting program there and quit my third year in the school to go work at the Steppenwolf Theater and the Goodman Theater and the Court Theater, a bunch of the, the theaters in Chicago and, and made, made a name for myself alongside uh, some of the cats coming up then were uh, John Favreau, Mike Shannon, Nick Offerman. These were all my, my colleagues back in the day. We always were, Mike Shannon and I were always neck and neck. He got, he got the role at the Steppenwolf. I got the one at the Goodman. He got the one at the Goodman. I got the one at the Steppenwolf. We were always, it was always, all, every callback was uh, uh, sort of the same guys uh, uh, competing for the roles in our age range. And then a uh, series of events. I left Chicago to come to Texas and started a theater company. And uh, my buddy Brad Jackson came into rehearsals for an uh, improv show that we were doing called Fuzzy Logic. It was a one hour improv what? that had no structure. All we did was we knew where we were spacewalking, Spolin spacewalking in from. And we would just sort of enjoy the space and figure out what we were doing. And then we would let all the scenes sort of emerge out of that. And we had a, like a, uh, a music tech guy sort of feeding in sound effects and music and helping us sort of transition. And Peggy uh, was on the lighting. This was at Stage West in Fort Worth. And he came into this rehearsal one day and he was like, hey, you should go audition for this, uh, this Dragon Balls thing. And I was like, Dragon Balls? What's that? Like, that kind of sounds like porn. And he was like, no, it's Japanese anime. And I was like, oh, so it's definitely porn. And he was like, no, no, it's cool. Call this dude. His name's Chris Sabat. And so I called, uh, called up Chris and say, you know, like I got his number back then in 97. It's still the same phone number to this day. And, uh, you know, I called him and he was like, yeah, man, come on in for an audition. It'd be great. I came in and I auditioned uh, for Garlic Jr. I'm going to push you into the dead zone. <laughs> and uh, it was, it was a weird audition because I'd been used to auditions in Chicago and I had sort of a voiceover career in Chicago, a commercial voiceover career. And, uh, <laughs> this was not at all what I was used to because he just, yeah, come on in, man. Here, can you do this alien? And I did it. And he was like, oh, man, that's great. Um, <clears throat> and he was like, can you, can you, can you, you do, do you have time right now to record it? <laughs> I was like, what? I got the role? And he was like, yeah, you, yeah, you got the role, man. And uh, I was like, okay, I, yeah, sure, I can record it right now. And to me, that was a red flag. I was like, this is not a real. <laughs> that wasn't sure. a real audition. This isn't a real thing. This Dragon Balls is all uh, 
somebody's fantasy. It's not, it's not going to be anything. And I was pretty arrogant at that. I'm still, you know, still, still struggle with that from time to time. But I was like, I was way above this nonsense, like, cause it just didn't seem real. And then uh, like, as I was leaving, he like ripped a, a, a piece of notebook paper out of a notebook. It was like, man, give me your address so I can send you a check. And I was like, you're never going to pay me. But I put the address down anyway. And sure enough, like two weeks later, I got a, a paycheck and I was like, wow, okay, I guess this is real. And they, they called me in for more stuff. And, and then I just recorded and recorded and, and I'm still recording to this day. So, I mean, it, I did not plan for this particular career of mine in terms of uh, anime voiceover, but uh, I was certainly glad it happened. It's certainly uh, this fandom in particular is the best boss you could have. Because if you just love your job and love your boss, they're going to treat you really nice. Now, so Dragon Ball, you know, obviously we all know it to be one of the most paramount animes, you know, ever created. But at the time, did you ever think this would be, and even when you got paid and found it, it was a real gig, did you ever think that, you know, this show and even your character would blow up to the popularity that it is today? <laughs> no, not at all. Because like after after Garlic Jr., I got um, Android 17, which I think was the next character I got. And like I came into the audition for that and I had all these ideas about what I was going to do. And so I was like, no, man, no, just relax, relax. Just don't do anything. And I was like, okay. And I was like, I'm Android 17. He's like, no, seriously, dude, just don't do anything. And I was like, okay. And I'm Android. And he's like, no, just don't do anything. Just talk. <laughs> And I was like, okay, I'm Android 17. He's like, that's perfect. Just do that. Nailed it. So like I did that character and, and then we moved on to, I think Dragon Ball might've been after that. Mm -hmm. Like we recorded Dragon Ball Z and then Dragon Ball. And then I think Yu Yu Hakusho and then I think GT. But Yu Yu Hakusho was the one where it really blew up for me because that was the first time I had ever been to a convention. Oh. And my experience going to a convention for Yu Yu Hakusho, uh, the, I, the thought I had, the idea I had when they were like, Chuck, do you want to come to this convention? And I was like, sure. And they're like, here's a free plane ticket. And I was like, that's awesome. <laughs> and they're like, we're going to give you a little money too. And I was like, that's incredible. Yes, of course I'll come. And I had, as an actor, done uh, convention work before. And that's where like uh, a, a pipe and fitting company will hire you to sit behind the table all day and be like, McGregor pipes are the best pipes. Use McGregor pipes. And you pass out material all day and you work for 10 bucks an hour for, you know, 12 hours. And then you make a little scratch as an actor. It was one of those side gigs. So I thought that's what I was going to be doing. And then they, 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 I said, well, I got there and I was like, well, what do you need me to do? And they're like, well, we've got you scheduled for autographs from, from, you know, it was like one to four or something, like three hours or four hours for autographs. And I was like, this is stupid. I'm like, so that's your promo is like, I'm going to sit there at a table and embarrassingly beg people for to take my autograph. Sure. I'm like, I don't want to do that. I was like, that's stupid. And they're like, no, Chuck, this is, you don't understand. Because I didn't know that anime had blown up at that time. I was like, I was like, I was like, okay, I'll sit there and pretend to be a star and try to get people to take my autograph and uh, got to the table and there was nobody there at the table. Nobody like right there at the table. And I was like, this is so stupid. Like you see though, I was like, why are we here? What are we doing? I was like, uh, and it was super crowded. I was at San Diego Comic-Con. I think that was my first convention. 
It's either that or or uh, anime boss. I can't remember. It was one of the, one of the big ones, and uh, they were like, "No, Chuck, look, that's your line," and they pointed at this line that was like wrapped around the entire room, and I was like, "What? What?" And they they were like, "Yeah, all those people." And they were like, "Release the hounds!" And the ta- you know, the line came up to the table, and and people were like super excited to meet me, and I. I was still literally just like 11 seconds into to like, what's going on? Why, what, what's happening? And they gave me a pen. Yeah. People are putting things in front of me like, you're the, and they're like freaking out. And I, I didn't know why and I couldn't understand. And it took me like an hour to, or like a half hour to figure it out. Like, like oh, okay, this, they really love this show and they love this character and I'm like the, I'm the closest they can get to meeting the character because sure. uh, it's my voice. And so I was doing the voice already and like, yeah, cool bars and idiot, you know, I was being he yeah. or whatever. And uh, uh, like, I remember very clearly the first or second person in line uh, was a girl who had a story about, she had watched Yu Yu Hakusho with her father while he was dying of cancer. Oh. And he had since passed and Hie was their favorite character and she was crying and I got up around the table to give her a hug and that's when I was like, oh shit, I need to, I am not ready for this, I'm not worthy of this, I'm not prepared for this and that's where I started to get serious and like really like, okay, I need to focus in. This is an important moment for these people as they come up to this table, I need to be present and observant and Oh, you know, just really kind of there for them, whatever they need. And that, that started the whole journey. I've been doing it for, I don't know, I guess 17 years now. I've been doing conventions, meeting fans. And uh, it's an outreach. It's a, it's a social work to me. It's a, it's a teaching gig. I've always been a teacher. And it is, uh, you know, you, you, you get to represent something that's really, really important to people. And you know, it's a privilege. It's absolutely an honor and a privilege to get to do what we do. Uh, but you have to focus. You can't not be present for people because they spend, you know, sometimes people will spend money on flights and they, they get they get the hotel and they buy the tickets to the convention. And then it's this moment right here with you that they've been waiting for. And you can't be like, well, you know, like checking your phone or whatever. Yeah. You got to be like ready for whatever it is they need. Well, like, fans of, you know, anime in general are, you know, pretty devoted and not to be messed with. I will say, though, one, anime fans that go to these conventions, definitely not people you want to mess with in the sense of a a story that comes to mind is uh, a couple years, I you know, I've been doing this host gig for a little bit now. But uh, going to the main stage to interview my next guest, I was like, yeah, I'll just cut through uh, the uh, guests alley that we have. So I went and I was like trying to cut through this line, like, hey, excuse me. And this dude just stiff arms me, thinking I'm like cutting in front of him. And then obviously once he sees my badge, like he knows I'm not cutting in front of him. And and he's like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But like uh, the people that I, at least that I've witnessed, they go to see people like you because you nailed it. They, you know, they associate you with this character that means so much to them that uh, they're, you know, just dying to meet you to the fact that they wait hours just to get your autograph and to meet you. Um, on that note, I did want to ask, are there any kind of, uh, we touched on a, on a bit of a somber one. Are there any kind of funny stories that you've had with uh, your 17 years of going to these conventions? 
there was one time a girl, uh, and this is sort of to me the epitome of of anime fandom. There was one time a girl uh, convention. I think we were at I don't know uh, Soccer Con, I think in Seattle. So it was a giant, giant panel with like 800 people in it and she raises her hand towards the end of the the panel is like would you touch my glass eye and i was like hell yeah bring it on up here and so she came up and she's like ink and i'm like dun, 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 poking her glass eye and screaming like a little girl but uh that that's the to, to me the thing about the anime conventions that makes it so amazing is that uh, the thing that is your disability the the thing that 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 is your your that you're ridiculed for is a problem for you in the regular world and an anime con it's not there's a guy born with deformed arms he had those really really small arms and he cosplayed as yoshi and i was like hell yeah dude oh yeah oh yeah fist bump on that one and uh you know it's only in this community that you see that type of you know, it doesn't matter. Your gender, your orientation doesn't matter. It just matters if you think One Piece is awesome, you know? <laughs> yeah, heck yeah. Oh, my God. No, my girlfriend would love you. Yeah, exactly. Uh, um, but, you know, speaking of other characters that you voice, you know, he kind of flips the line between good and bad. And, you know, Android sure. 17, you know, comes around. I did want to touch on someone who is universally hated for the best way possible. And that, of course, is one that I mentioned a little bit ago called Shao Tucker. Shao Tucker. He's That's not right. a show for long. But I no. will say, if there was ever a villain that we all universally hated, <laughs> even though it was performed by a stellar performance by uh, the man before me. Of course. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's be Shao Tucker. So, you know, granted it was a brief appearance, but, you know, was there any kind of funny or interesting stories connected to you and uh, Full Metal Alchemist? Well, Shao Tucker is one of those characters where I will get genuine uh, <laughs> people who are at the table genuinely upset with me. You should die! And I'm like, what? Why? And they're like, you were Shao Tucker! You killed Nina! I'm like, well, technically I didn't kill Nina. I mean, I just transferred her so there's someone else killed her. But I mean, yeah, I understand you're upset. You, I hope you burn in hell! And I'm like, you're a really, really loud seven-year-old girl. You know, why are you, why are you being so mad? You know, like, people, people would really get uh, uh, and and it was all in good fun, and they oh, would sure. they would they were never really actually upset. They were coming up to play upset mm. towards the Shao Tucker character. And he's one of those that like when I was recording it, Mike McFarland, great direction. You know, all the stuff that's good about that character is all due to Mike and and my ability to follow what he was asking of me. But the the uh, <laughs> the the amount of of uh, like when I was doing the character, I thought it was funny. I thought it was great. I was like, yeah, that's awesome. He did this thing, this dog daughter, that's awesome. And, you know, cause when you're recording it, you're just like, oh, my character gets to do amazing stuff. Yeah. And then you see it in context and I saw it in context and I was like, I am terrible, I'm horrible. <laughs> I'm a horrible human being. I deserve all the evil that comes my way. But yeah, it's, it's a difference between uh, recording something because it's always fun to record you know it's always it doesn't matter if you're playing the worst character in the world that's going to make everybody cry for the rest of their lives sure. uh, it, it's fun to do and then you see it in context and you suddenly you understand why everybody is so mad at you and you're like oh i get it now i get it they sure. were legit totally legit mm -hmm. 
you've been doing the acting voice acting gig for decades now and True. something next i kind of wanted to talk about is you not only are an active participant in the industry you've also taken on the mentor role sure. and i kind of wanted to ask how you got to that point and for the folks watching at home we're going to touch on a couple more questions like the question i'm about to ask you here in a bit but the one i wanted to kind of start us out with is kind of how did you get into that mentor role and how could people find you and kind of contact you in order to you know tutor under you yeah i do I, i've been a teacher forever i was a I was a teacher when I was 15 at YMCA Camp Minicani. That's where I first learned to be a teacher. I was, uh, you know, a supplemental foster care instructor. I worked uh, at the multiple different schools. I did teacher trainings. I was a principal of a, a private school. I was a regular classroom teacher for six years. I, I produced works and wrote articles for educational magazines. I'm big into mnemonics and, and, and memorization. I have, I have several different uh, sort of uh, workshops I teach on memorizing history dates and, and memorizing uh, different sort of memorization text, uh, techniques for, for teachers. And then that led naturally into where I am now, which is I have this, this great audience of, of supporters. And the interaction with the fans at the conventions is fun. It, it is enjoyable, but after after 20 years of doing it, 15 years of doing it, because I've been teaching now for uh, online, teaching acting online for about four years now. Mm. Um, but you know, about four years ago, I was like, I need something more. I need to engage them on a different level, on a sort of deeper, longer uh, relationship, conversation. And so then I was like, well, you know what I could do is I could teach, I could definitely teach dialects because I'm a dialectician. I love to do dialects. I love to teach dialects. I have a very different technique for teaching dialects. A lot of people teach dialects with the international phonetic alphabet and it ends up being like algebra mm -hmm. and they, they tell you it's right or it's wrong. And, and I teach dialects very athletically, you know, two or three changes and figure out how to move your voice in the direction and teach people proper practice for dialects rather than how to do it perfectly right. And uh, so that's, that's how the, the online workshops started for me was because I wanted to have this sort of longer conversation with uh, the fan base and the fans were growing up into actors and the actors needed training. And so I teach a class that's a voice dialect and character workshop where we do uh, three dialects and we work on some other voice stuff and then you do a monologue and I do a lot of the, uh, a lot of the acting techniques that, that I learned at the, the Goodman School of Drama, we, we roll through in that monologue. And then I have an advanced class where we do two different monologues, uh, modern Shakespeare, we do a scene and then there's a, a class on improv. I'm big, uh, big on the improv. And then I have a couple other classes launching uh, in October, uh, late September. I got a Shakespeare and an improv, straight Shakespeare class, straight improv class. And then I have a engineering demo class where uh, you, you come into class and you, you write and create your own either commercial or character demo it, collectively with the group. And we do some of the other sort of voice match exercises that I do in the voice dialect class to sort of see who you who you sound like and where we can steal from to supplement your demo. And I have an engineer, Jose Sandoval uh, from Funimation, who works with me on that. And he teaches home engineering. 
So whatever your digital audio workspace is, he, he works with you on how to, how to be the best home engineer that you can be. And then Andy Field and I, he teaches a business of voiceover class with me. I mean, it's mostly his class because I brought him in because I started kind of at the top and Andy Field has is, is built his voiceover career from the bottom up. So he knows all the places to audition, how to network, how to connect with, with companies and with Chinese clients and, and how to, how to, you know, broaden your, your, your base of people who are, are in need of your services. And so he teaches that class. So, you know, I'm, I'm kind of looking at opening it up as, as the, you know, really solid online acting school with tiered levels so that people can get, get the most out. My focus is always, how can I get the most training in the shortest amount of time? So my classes are they're, they're, they're difficult. They're hard hitting. You have to do a lot of work. It's, it's, it's a focused environment, but it's, uh, I did it because, uh, because conventions are, they're fun, but they're, they're only a certain level. And now I get to, to meet, uh, other actors, uh, on all sorts of different levels and sort of have a different relationship with them. And that uh, naturally led into the now voice this competition, which I do, which is a fun, online acting competition where the winner gets uh, an acting gig but the the community that community has been a lot of fun to watch them grow and support each other and then you see people in the community who end up on you know end up doing stuff that i'm like oh man i'm kind of jealous you got that job i want that job <laughs> so i got i got people that i'm supposedly mentoring and i'm like i kind of want to compete with you for what you're, the gigs you're getting <laughs> The student becomes the competitor. That's right. That's the whole goal. The goal is, I mean, my goal with, with training students is to, uh, in my old age, still have work because they will be producers and directors and creators. And they'll be like, well, we want old Chuck to come in and do some work. And I can be like, oh, I'll play old man number four or whatever. Sure. Well, on that <laughs> note, real quick, guys, for those watching, we're about at the halfway point. So I did want to reiterate a point. If you guys are watching this live here on Facebook, if you guys haven't already sent in a question or comment, either in the Messenger for VisionCon or in the live chat, go ahead and do so. We still got some time. There's also, if you're watching in the live, watching this live, in the live chat, there are a bunch of links associated with Chuck Huber that we are going to talk about later, but those are easily available to you. Or if you're watching this later on YouTube, it's going to be down in the description below. And with that said, we're going to kind of go on with this theme about, you know, kind of you giving advice to aspiring actors. Um, how do you deal with rejection? Now, you know, like we all know, rejection is a huge part of life in general. But if there was ever an industry where rejection is probably most prevalent, your industry is definitely one of those. So does it ever get any easier? Or are there ways that you would advise people to kind of handle rejection when it inevitably happens? Yeah, and it does. There's not many industries where a 98% failure rate is considered success, where you're booking two out of every hundred jobs and that's successful. But that's about what it is. You know, you're, you're, especially when you're starting out, if you're, if you're booking two out of every hundred jobs in your first year, you're wildly successful. So yeah, rejection is part of the game. It's, uh, you know, hit it and forget it. You know, you just send in that audition and then then delete it from your brain. It never existed. I would say that the audition is your best first rehearsal. Like the audition is the best you could do in that first rehearsal. And you just pretend it's your gig. And this is what you got without any direction from the producers or director or the writer. 
and you say, this is what I can give you, and then you're done with it, and you have to forget about it. But they, they, one of the things we say in class is that falling down is guaranteed. You are guaranteed to trip and fall. Standing up is optional, and, and having a plan to stand up is really optional. That's not something people plan for. They think that's supposed to just magically happen for them, that you you reach a roadblock or, or, or a, 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 some something you cannot summit and you have to turn back and you feel like a failure. That feeling of failure is guaranteed. When I do a lot of balance work, I will, I will work uh, slack lines and because and, hiking involves a lot of balance and I'm an avid hiker and, and especially as I get older, I wanna make sure that I can keep my skills for as long as I can. Mm. So I work a slack line or I work a, um, yeah, guardrails. I'm a big fan of guard. Like if I'm at a, at a convention at a hotel, I'll like scope out where the nearest guardrail is so that I can do some, some balance work on top of the guardrail. But like when you're balanced, the, the motion forward is what keeps you balanced. You start to fall or falter left or right when you start to think about, about staying balanced. But when you keep that, that goal on going forward, like that's what that motion forward, just like riding a bike. When you ride a bike and you are first starting, it's not until you get that motion forward that you find that balance. And so it's that that continuing to have that motion forward is what keeps, even if you fall off, you have to stand back on and get that motion forward. Or if you start to falter, you know you're going to breathe and extend. You know you're going to move forward. You know you're going to let your neck relax. You know, you know all the processes that you're going to put in place to keep yourself going forward and motivated to go forward and and understanding that the solution to grief the solution to sorrow the solution to sadness is wisdom and once you once you have that sort of marcus aurelius who's big big stoic philosopher friend of mine i love him ancient uh, dude he's my buddy but his his idea of 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 wisdom solving grief of wisdom solving and that's and i say grief and people think your your mother died or your brother died and that's grief but you have grief because you didn't get the gig but the solution to grief is wisdom and so you want to be wise you want to be someone who is considered wise and so if you are having grief or having trouble or having frustration and you know that the solution is wisdom you can literally just say, I'm going to be wise and move forward from this. And you will be imbued with that wisdom in the moving forward, which keeps your balance and keeps you from faltering further. And that allows you the motion forward, which gets you to the next place where the gig happens. And it's not, you're not, it's not about, out. people say it's luck if it's true it is luck i was very lucky that brad jackson said you should call this dude chris sabbath but i was also in a theater company that i had created after working hard in a conservatory and building a career in chicago like i was in that place where that luck could happen because of a lot of hard work because of a lot of forward motion that i had already put into place so you you all you have to do is immovably continue forward to what you want and to be flexible about what it is that you're going to accept as success because uh, anime voice acting wasn't on that wasn't anything i wanted that wasn't anything i tried to have happen as a as a successful career it was something that happened to me because i was i was flexible to it i was open to it when it when it happened 
And I didn't say, no, nah, forget you anime career. I don't want you. I want to be a theater actor. So that forward motion is what keeps you in place. You just have to constantly stand up and move forward. Fall, fall down twice, stand up three times. Ooh, I like that. That's a lot of great yeah. advice. And you know, maybe a guy, you know, with decently long hair who after this interview was planning on reaching out to Chris Sabat to be on his internet show when he inevitably uh, turns him down. Maybe that person can uh, remember that advice. <laughs> <laughs> That's <laughs> then, true. That's true. But uh, in, in, in this similar vein, a lot of people who watch this show are obviously here to see, you know, the big guest that we have, like, you know, the one right before me. Uh, but a lot of them have also people that are interested in either getting in your industry or right. are already taking the set steps to get into the industry, but, that, but then just need to know what's next so that then, you know, maybe they one day could be the next Chuck Huber. So sure. what I want to ask you before we go into the plug zone and everything, guys, is let us <laughs> pretend I am the physical embodiment of everybody watching right now that is interested in being in your industry. What advice would you give? What, how soon would you splurge on equipment, an agent, or is there really a necessity for any of those? And just kind of any general tips that, you know, aren't necessarily uh, innate in people's minds when they think about getting into your industry. The, the number one thing is that it is all on you. There is no, there is no person, there is no gatekeeper, there is nothing preventing you from participating in the industry as fully as I participate in it. Mm -hmm. And of course, I've, I've had a long career, so I have a little bit better standing and things are a little easier for me, but the idea that anybody else can prevent you from having this career is a lie. And there's training, constantly getting more training. There's uh, Chris Rager teach classes, Sonny Strait teach classes, uh, Crispin Freeman teaches classes. There's classes all over the place and you can get um, a lot of information that you otherwise, uh, otherwise would take you a long time to Google. But that said, you could start Andy Field in his business of voiceover class that I teach with him he teaches it. I show up a couple of times and give little bits of, of, of lessons. But he says everything he learned, he learned by Googling. So you, you just say, well, wh what are the agents? What are the good agents? And you find the boards and you find the Facebook groups and you find the, and you don't stop. You don't go to one source and say, this is the source for all the information and I'm going to do everything this source says, and I'm never going to look outside this source. That's a recipe for, for failure. No. If, if people came to my class and said, all I have to do is take Chuck Huber's class, and then I'm going to be successful, albeit I give this information that you, you shouldn't just take my class to think that's how you're going to be successful, I certainly give you a lot of great direction. Mm -hmm. I, I certainly show you what it takes to be a great actor, which by and large, I'm going to tell you this absolutely skills win the day if you are a great actor you're going to succeed because people want great actors in their projects so the better you are as an artist the more profitable you're going to be so what does that take to be a good artist that's a that's a whole separate question but generally speaking you can just start googling it's a very simple process you have to have a microphone um, I work with 
for my classes and for uh, most of my auditions, I'm just on the Blue Yeti. I have a studio that's got an ST360 Sterling. Uh, I should probably get a better mic. I'm lazy because a lot of my work happens in other people's studios, so I don't have to have the greatest studio in the world at home. Uh, Andy Field, his business of voiceover class, he shows you what the top of the line is. And if you can afford the top of the line, if you can afford a $2,500 demo, if you can afford a you know $3,000 Neumann mic and a and a $8,000 whisper room, if money isn't an object and this is your goal forever, yeah, go ahead, drop all the cash on everything you need. Because there is a commitment level when it comes to spending cash that drives you towards that goal. You don't drop three grand on a mic and then not spend time using that mic. Yeah. Uh, that said, you can also start with a, a $100 USB mic and and uh, I, as a matter of fact, what was the one? So Funimation recently went to a lot of remote recording, of course, because of COVID. And I think the the mic setup that they sent out was uh, with the I think it was like a like a two hundred fifty dollar I can't remember the the Apogee mic, like a two hundred fifty dollar Apogee. I've heard mic. of it, yeah. Yeah, so it's like Funimation top tier industry recording their properties with a $250 mic. So it's not a high barrier to get into a space. And then you need a recording space that is quiet. And you just need, you know, go to, go to acx.com, see what they say in terms, acx.com, they do audio, audio narration, audiobooks. They, you know, what is the floor? What is the, 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 when, when nothing is being recorded, are you negative 60 dB? You know, if these words don't make sense to you, Google them, find out what they mean, figure it out. It doesn't take a lot of effort or time. And if you want a shortcut to it, take Andy Field's business of voiceover class and have him tell you everything you need to know to be up to speed for the industry. And Andy books so much work and he, he like, like I get jealous because I'd be like, man, Chuck, yeah, I'm just... I just, uh, he's, he's, uh, he's Southern dude. He's like, yeah, Chuck, man. I, like I just, I just build these clients from China, like $12,000 last month. And I'm like, Ooh. holy crap, dude. Uh, I want your gig. And he's like, <laughs> no, you got your gig. You do yours. I'll do mine. I'm like, okay. Uh, but I always joke if I didn't, if, if every, if the world fell apart even more than it did now, and I did not have the industry to support me the way I do, I would start by taking his class and having him tell me exactly what it is I need to do. And then training, like I said, what wins the day is skills. And it is not hard to become a good actor. It's not, it's not, it's, it takes practice. That's it. It's like, uh, and there's some people who, who come to it more naturally than others. And just like some people are more natural singers or dancers. Uh, but acting is like anything else. It is not magic. It's not rocket science. It's not voodoo. It's practice. It's athleticism. You just have to be flexible and willing to try different things and to make yourself do different. You cannot get different results in your life without doing different things. So if you are doing the same thing over and over and over again, expecting something to change, it's not going to. What we talk about in, in my acting class is about you have a pattern, an algorithm as a human. And when you act, you act from that pattern or algorithm. And in order to be a versatile actor, you need to have 
a broader algorithm. I, I, I describe it like a map in a video game, like you open up that map in the video game and you have more places to go. And that's exactly the, the purpose of training as an actor is not, not to uh, you know, train within the little circle that you already are, it's to broaden that map so you can make interesting organic choices that are human and real and grounded and the only thing you need to do that is to take risks as a human to do those new things within, you know, a setting that is, is supportive and, and, and isn't going to make you feel trauma for your, what happens to you while performing in front of people, which is one of the things that happen. People get up in front of others to perform and they, they experience trauma because it's embarrassing. And nobody likes to be embarrassed. And if you don't like to be embarrassed and you don't like to fail, don't be an actor. <laughs> it's, uh, we have a process for failure in acting. It's called rehearsal. <laughs> we do the play wrong a whole bunch of times where it just sucks. And we get it to where it's kind of on its feet. And then we put it in front of an audience and it kind of craps uh, the bed for a little while. And then we get it back up and then they put sure. costumes. And, uh, you know, you, you just have to be okay with things not being okay. Ooh. Ooh, I, I like that last line. And there was a lot of great tips for that, guys. So if you're watching this live here on Facebook or later on YouTube, I hope you guys took all the notes that you could because now you have all the skills necessary or at least <laughs> on your way to be in the next Chuck Huber. And guys, with all of that said, if you guys are watching this live on Facebook right now, now is your last chance to either message VisionCon directly, your questions or comments, or put them in the live chat because, ladies and gentlemen, we're in the plug zone. Ooh. Chuck Huber now is your opportunity to promote, advertise, plug, whatever verb you want to use, anything you want. The floor is yours, sir. All right. I have classes. My, I've been teaching the voice dialect character, and now I've added the word monologue to it because we do do a monologue, and I did just say do-do. Uh, we do do a monologue. I wasn't going to say it. The, the voice dialect and character class runs Wednesday nights in September, September 9th, 16th, 23rd, and 30th from 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. Central Standard Time. It is a class I've been teaching for three years now. The curriculum adjusts slightly every time I teach it, but I've been teaching the same things for a long time, and it's, it's very successful. Uh, in terms of the product I'm able to, to produce from all level of students. I have professional actors to, um, you know, spectrumy uh, homeschool kids, and everybody's able to participate together and, and work towards the, the goals that the class has for them. And the major goal that the class has is to, to get you secure in in your abilities to pursue things yourselves but yeah so i got the september class that's really the the primary thing that i'm plugging right now it literally uh i i promoted it to my patreon page uh which the patreon supports now voice this which is the voice acting contest i do online and um uh, I've already, there's only 12 spots and there's already only seven spots left. So there's seven spots left in September's class. I'm t this is the first month I've taken a break in about two years. So uh, I've taken August off, uh, mostly because my, my son was going to college and, and I just needed, I needed a break from it sure. uh, for, for a minute. But so I'm back on in September. Uh, Andy Field's business of voiceover class starts up in October. 
and he and I teach that. Uh, you can uh, Andy Field Voiceover at gmail.com, Andy at Andy Field Voiceover.com. One of those two. I can't remember which. <laughs> <laughs> he always gets mad at me because I always forget his email because he's got two. Sure. Uh, Andy Field Voiceover at gmail.com. That's the one. Uh, and uh, uh, his class is amazing, and, and I step into that. Mm. Uh, now Voice This is headed into semifinals. The winner of that is going to be voicing um, a role alongside me and uh, Todd Habercorn in a horror video game called Saint Kotar, at Saint Kotar, K-O-T-A-R, uh, Saint underscore Kotar, K-O-T-A-R, uh, on the Twitter. I am at Chuck underscore Huber on the Twitter. Now Voice This is at Now Voice This um, on the Twitter. What else am I doing? Uh, did we mention Instagram? Instagram, Charles Cody Huber on Instagram. Instagram is really my, that's mostly I post hiking pictures and gotcha. uh, I occasionally plug. Thank you. Uh, this is one of them right behind me here. Hey. Uh, actually, that's from a, uh, th this is from a conference in Seattle that I was at. That was a sunrise over the Puget Sound uh, when I was uh, recording a conference. An interesting bioelectricity conference. I'm a fan of fringe science. Uh, I think fringe <laughs> science is the science of the future. Yeah. Uh, what else do I have to plug? I think that's it. That's all I got to plug. And guys, uh, like I mentioned earlier, if you're watching this live, I put all those links in the live chat. Or if you're watching this later on YouTube, all the links are going to be down in the description below. And with that, we're out of the plug zone and going right into viewers' comments and questions. So like I always do, guys, I'm going to balance it out kind of evenly, some from the messenger and the others from the live chat. So let me bring up the messenger real quick. Okay. All right. So Cassidy wanted to know that aside from voiceover and acting, what are some of the hobbies that you do? Well, I mentioned the hiking. I do a lot of hiking. As a matter of fact, I just prepped my son, my 14-year-old, for a – he's doing about a 15-mile hike over – four days uh, in New Mexico. So I, I just, right before this interview, I dropped him off at his buddy's house. I set him up with the sat phone and the, the Gossamer gear. And the, the, I got a new Nemo dagger two person uh, tent that he was like, dad, don't let me have that tent. It's too expensive. And I was like, no, take the shelter, man. It's a, it's a funny thing. Like I have this, like, some, some of this uh, expensive hiking gear. And when I was sending my 14 year old, a uh, 14 year old out into the wilderness, Better gear means uh, more safety. And so I was like, no, dude, uh, lighter gear is more safe. You know, you, you're, yeah. you're carrying less pounds. You can move quicker if there's a storm or a bear. You can, you can make your way out. So I'm, I'm, a, I'm an avid hiker. I'm a writer. I write uh, screenplays and uh, poetry. I just recently finished Snow White and Rose Red that my wife, uh, Jessica Von Brown, is illustrating. I think we may do a Kickstarter or an Indiegogo or a GoFundMe or something for the yeah. for the book and get give away originals or something. I don't know. She's she's got ideas. I've got ideas. But it's a wonderful verse poem about. Mm, it's a long poem, but it's good. <laughs> and uh, what else do I do? Uh, we have chickens and a garden. Oh. And I. I exercise. What else do I do? I play Fortnite. I do play a lot of Fortnite. I will Twitch stream occasionally with my son doing some Fortnite. And uh, I like Fortnite. I play with uh, my buddy Aaron Roberts sometimes, who's another voice actor. He's in Fire Force. Mm -hmm. But so like uh, 
the, the Fortnite has, has been away because he lives way, way up in Plano and I live over in Fort Worth. So it's like an, we're like almost an hour and 15 minutes away from each other. So like, hey, let's hang out and grab a coffee isn't really a thing that happens yeah. too often. So now we'll, we'll get to like hang out for an hour uh, killing digital people on, <laughs> on an, an imaginary island. So I dig it. Well, yeah. Chris Scott wanted to, Chris Scott Zabriski, I hope I pronounced that correctly, uh, said, hey, Chuck, what was your favorite episode in Soul Eater as Professor Stein? Uh, the, either the battle with Medusa, because Medusa was totally hot, or his uh, complete uh, devol- devolution into madness as the Kishin took over and the, the laughter. Uh, either one of those. Or the first. I mean, that, his, his entrance on the chair, that's, that's kind of my favorite uh, entrance of a character that I've ever had in, in my life, because it's so like, like it's whimsical, but it's a little disturbing. And it's, it's, you're like, who is this guy? Like he is not, <laughs> that's one of those characters that, uh, you know, Zach uh, uh, cast, he cast me as I think they were like, oh, he's a crazy teacher who's kind of a good guy, bad guy. Uh, let's just get Chuck to do it. It was one of those I think I was predestined to do. For sure. Well, Maureen chimed in and she first said, uh, hey Chuck, hope you're doing well and staying safe. Uh, Thank oh. you, I am. And then she said, hey, Zach, hope you're staying safe too. Thank you, Maureen. Um, yeah. but, but she wanted to know, uh, what was the best and worst thing about voicing Shao Tucker from Full Metal Alchemist? Uh, the best thing was how much I got to hurt everybody. That's also <laughs> the, the worst thing about it. I mean, he's a super impactful character. Sure. Everybody remembers him. Uh, I, I used to have a little uh, Nina Alexander plushie. Uh, that would sit on my table and it would make people cry because I'd pull it out and make them cry. <laughs> uh, so yeah, you you always like it when there's a character that is has that much impact on, on an audience. Well, Zachary uh, Nathanson uh, wanted to ask, how do you feel looking back now on Shin-Chan or Shin-Chan? <laughs> and do you still keep in touch with Laura Bailey? And will Shin-Chan ever return? Still love that show so much. Hero does remind me a bit of Homer Simpson a bit. It's true. Yeah, he's a little bit of a Japanese uh, Homer Simpson. Uh, he's also very similar. Like that character is like if you crossed uh, uh, Dr. Stein and Hero, that, that's kind of my character. I, I don't, I mean, Laura Bailey and I, like we, we had a great fondness for each other when we got to work together and we did some conventions together. She, Travis and I did uh, Colossal Con together and, and I, we all forgot to bring swimsuits and I had panels. So they went to, uh, they went to Walmart to get swimsuits. And I was like, pick me up a swimsuit. And they, they got me this like tiny pink surfer shorts. <laughs> and I was like, ah, oh, and I went and put them on, but I came out, Travis was wearing the same pair. So we had matching, oh. matching swim shorts. And then Laura, Laura uh, sharked us all at uh, Texas Hold'em that night in my room. Uh, yeah, Laura Bailey's amazing. She's done amazing. And now she's, she's got a kid, her family's moving on. Uh, then she's in LA. So we, we don't keep in touch, but if, if, uh, if I ever saw her, we'd be like, what's going on? You know, that's kind of the way it works in the industry is you, you don't get to see a lot of the people and then you see them at conventions and you, it's like a, a nice, a nice reunion. That's so silly. And that's a funny story as well. I think there was one more part of the, uh, how do you feel looking back on Shin Chan? Yeah, Shin Chan was, <laughs> it's definitely one of those that I, because that Shin Chan pushed the envelope in a lot of ways. And there were, that, that's probably one of the only shows where I've ever had to say, I'm not going to say that line. 
um, there were it, it pushed it pushed the boundaries a lot in terms of what it did. I actually think that the writing, although a really really fun, kind of missed the market. I, I think in in Japan the writing was uh, geared towards a general audience and had adult humor that wouldn't be recognized by the general audience and sort of the American take at the time was to, to go for the, the adult humor. So there was a lot of sort of upfront adult humor, uh, but I loved it. If you, if you had to, if you had to tell me, if you had to, if you had to say, Chuck, you have to re-record one anime uh, with the same people who I recorded it with uh, uh, Zach and Peter and I, that there was never more laughter or more fun or more quotes from a show uh, being hurled at each other than when we were doing Shin Chain. But still to this day, if I see Zach or Peter, occasionally they'll be like, I went to work with a piece of pizza on my sleeve or whatever, or sure. you know, whatever the, the quote was. So that, uh, that, that was probably the most fun I had ever recording uh, an anime. Sure. Um, well, Chris actually chimed back in and said, uh, Zabriski, Zach, close, LOL. Okay, yeah. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, Chris. Um, uh, Sky wanted to know, how was voicing uh, Kibito from DBC? Oh, Kibito, yes, Kibito. Yeah, you know, I, I looked at my... <laughs> Kibito was fun. He was one of my deep voice characters. Uh, you know, I looked back, I did Android 13, Android 17, Garlic Jr., Emperor Pilaf, Master Shen, Mr. Shu, Kibito, uh, Garlic Jr., Mustard. Like, I've done, I've done uh, I don't know, a dozen different characters in Dragon Ball Z. And Kibito was one of the ones when he came back in uh, Super, I was like, oh, that's so cool. I mean, Emperor Pilaf came back first, but Kibito was a lot of fun to step back into. Okay, and then we've got time for about one more question. And I did want to say real quick, guys, before we do the last question, that this interview would not be possible without a certain someone that I did want to shout out, and that someone is Tabitha Whitelaw, who actually reached out to you for us. So, oh, nice. Tabitha, thank you so much. You know, we love you here at VisionCon, and, you know, couldn't have done this without you, so thank you so much, Tabitha. <laughs> and with that said, last question, I'm going to actually throw it over to you, Maureen, which is, she asked, what are the pros and cons of being a voice actor? Uh, pros are the fan base for sure. There isn't, there isn't a more supportive or connected fan base. I think in the industry, it's comparable to the Star Trek fan base, uh, which of course I'm also a part of, but the, uh, the cons would be the uncertainty as all acting is of where your next paycheck is coming from, or if you're ever going to work again, it doesn't matter how long you've been in the industry. If you go through a dry spell and you haven't had any work, you uh, you get a couple weeks, couple months into it, and you think maybe that was it. It's over, I guess. Uh, uh, even at this stage, you 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 still think that. All right. And then, uh, did, did we mention all the cons? Yeah, I think that is the con. That is the, the major con. con. The, okay. the major con. I mean, that's that's pretty much the only the only con is like you may never work again. It's like <laughs> the dread pirate Roberts. You know, thank you. I must likely kill you in the morning. Fair, fair. <laughs> all righty guys well that's about all the time we got so ladies and gentlemen this has been episode 24 of vision con live now before we wrap things up chuck huber any final thoughts to leave us on i love you you guys are awesome that's it all right couldn't say it better myself guys like i said if you haven't already check out those links in the live chat or down in the description if you're watching this on youtube but ladies and gentlemen, this has been episode 24 of VisionCon Live. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. And make sure to tune in tomorrow.
for episode 25 of VisionCon Live with my interview with actor Bryson Baugis. Of course, we all know him as the voice of Belle from Is It Ron to Try and Pick Up Girls in the Dungeon? Mitsuru from Darling in the Franks, just to name a few, plenty of others. But until next time, guys, I, of course, am your host, Zach Wilson, but much more importantly, this has been my special guest, Chuck Huber. Make sure to check out those links in the description below. But until next time, guys, stay safe out there and always remember that life's better when you have friends to share it with.